podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Thursday, the 17th of June. We're brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. Allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, use your Now TV outside of the UK if you've been clamped down on by Brexit. Also keeps your data safe. Check out libertyshield.com. Use the code EPLVPN and you'll get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks. um, Busy day yesterday in the Euros. Three games. First up was Finland versus Russia. The Finns thought they were one up when Poyampalo Headed home. Really good header from a really good cross. Unfortunately, he was ruled offside. Russia would take control of the game. They weren't by any means dominant. They weren't by any means impressive. But they did look like more of a functional team. Moranchuk made a big difference being brought into the team. Playing in a supporting role in attack. He gets the goal. Russia win 1-0. It's an expected win. They should beat Finland. They're a better team than Finland with more talented players. The Finns, though, you have to credit them. They worked so hard. And there are some talented players in that squad that I think are doing themselves no harm, putting forward good performances that could see them earn some decent moves after these Euros. Up next, then, Wales 2, Turkey 0. So, I thought the Turks would beat Wales. I have to admit, I I thought the Turks would win this. I thought the the Turks would do quite well in this tournament because they've got a lot of talent. Now, most of it is focused in the defensive area, but somehow they're managing to get the worst out of everybody. The defense is all over the place. The midfield has no structure. The attack is completely disconnected from the rest of the team. Yilmaz, having had a great season, just doesn't look the same player. And he missed a couple of sitters yesterday. The Welsh rode their luck a little bit. They, they're giving up big chances that they will not get away with against the top teams. But they did play a lot better. Both Bale and Ramsey turned up. Bale with the assist for Ramsey. Lovely clip ball over the top. Ramsey timed his run to perfection. Took it in on the chest. And a nice little clip finish. Bounced it past the goalkeeper into the bottom corner. About 10 minutes before that, maybe even less, he had missed... A very similar chance with a similar type of run. A similar ball from Bale, but he skied it over the bar. You would have thought that Sionchu and Aeon would have learned their lesson, but they didn't. They didn't learn their lesson at all. And the Turks just looked all over the place. No progression through the midfield. They took off Yakuzlu, moved Chalanoglu deeper, brought on Demerel at half-time to try and shore things up defensively. But none of it worked. And even though they did create some really good chances and probably could have gotten away away with a draw here, I don't think you can deny that the Welsh deserved the win. Connor Roberts made it two on 95. A short corner, Wilson to Bale. And then no Turkish player went anywhere near Gareth Bale. They just let him run and run and run 
Simple cutback and Conor Roberts tapped home. Bale missed a penalty. He bought a penalty with a very... We'll say it was an experienced player's move to catch his leg onto the defender's foot. Uh, or catch his foot, rather, onto the defender's leg. Bought the penalty. Skied the penalty. Maybe having some regret at having cheated to win the penalty. Harry Wilson missed a good chance. But as I said, the Turks did have their chance. They just didn't take them. Turkey, the most disappointing team of the tournament so far. The Welsh looked like they, they should progress um, either in second or third place. And they can still top the group. They'd need to beat Italy. But Italy were up next. And they just swept Switzerland aside. As they did with the Turks, they just brushed them off. Brilliant performances from Barella, from Locatelli, and from Berardi. I thought the two fullbacks played well. Di Lorenzo, the more impressive of the two on the night. Spinozola, not as involved as he was in the Turkey game. Insigne, not as involved, but every time he got the ball, he looked a threat. Immobile, a little bit wasteful, but did get his goal. And it has to be said, they look the best team in the tournament so far. They've certainly been the most entertaining team so far. The midfield is functioning brilliantly. The attack is functioning really well. And when you figure out that they've got Federico Chiesa to come off the bench, as he did last night and created a goal, and you've got um, Andrea Bellotti to come off the bench, and he's a very talented player. They're deep there. Factor in that Verratti is in the squad, but not yet in the team because he's been injured. And he can take that midfield up a level. Now, I don't know if you break that midfield up. For me, I would be leaving that midfield alone as is right now and maybe using Verratti off the bench for the last 30 minutes. But Barella is in incredible form. Locatelli, after a slightly disappointing first game, excellent last night with his two goals and, and his all-round play, his ball winning, his passing, his progression, carrying the ball forward. Whoever gets him this summer is getting a tremendous player. And you just have to look at AC Milan and wonder what it was that they were thinking when they not just sold him, but forced him out of the club to the point where he has openly said, I will never play for that club again. Now, consider this is a kid who was in their academy from the age of 11. He spent 11 years then at the club. They treated him the way they did. It's shocking. I mean, they loaned him to Sassuolo for a year. He did well. And then they made the decision to sell him. And they sold him for a, a fraction of what he was actually worth. Milan using players like Lucas Bilia and Mont Ricardo Montalivo, who was years past his best. Very hard to know what they were thinking. Gennaro Gattuso, absolute moron. Just... I mean, Montella had been using him regularly. Then he'd started to use him a little bit less, but he said it was part of his development. And Gattuso came in and just binned him off. Why you would allow Gattuso to make any decisions, I don't know. Uh, on Gattuso, he has just resigned as manager of Fiorentina after 23 days in charge. He has been... It has been decided that... He just can't work with the within the current structure. Rumours are that George Mendes, 
the agent who's been involved heavily at Wolves, obviously, um, he's Gattuso's agent, and he wanted to be bringing his players to the club. And that's caused tension between the ownership and Gattuso. So now it looks like Rudy Garcia, Claudio, uh, Claudio Ranieri, or Andrea Pirlo uh, could become the Fiorentina manager. I mean, of that list, Garcia is the best by a country mile. Um, Pirlo showed nothing last season to suggest he's in any way ready to manage in Syria. I, I don't know why you'd go near Claudio, to be completely honest. I mean, he, he's had one impressive season in his career as a manager. One. At senior level. Now, this is a man who's been managing since 1986. And in, in and out of top divisions since 1988. He has won. Sorry, since 1990, he's been managing in top divisions. But still, it's 31 years. Since then, what he has won at the top level, one Copa del Rey with Valencia and the Premier League with Chelsea, or with, with Leicester. He won League Two and he won Serie B. Oh, he did win a Coppa Italia as well. Sorry, so he's got two cups and one title. And he's managed top clubs. Napoli, Fiorentina, that was a good Napoli team as well. Fiorentina, they had Batistuta, Rui Costa at the time. Valencia, that's the team that they would end up going to the Champions League final twice with very little change after he got binned off. Um, Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, he had Roman's money for a year and still won nothing. Valencia again, Parma, Juve, Roma. Inter, Monaco. He was in charge of the Greek national team for four games. It didn't go well. Uh, Leicester, Nantes, Fulham, disaster. Roma, and most recently Sampdoria, where he won 37.5% of his games. Lost more games than he won. I wouldn't touch him. I, I just think he is one of the most overrated managers in history. And if it wasn't for that incredible season at Leicester, where everything broke their way, I, I think people would look at him very, very differently. Anyway, back to what I was talking about, which was Euro 2020. Yeah, Locatelli is going to be a phenomenal buy for somebody this summer. I think him and Barella with Lorenzo Pellegrini, that's the long-term future of the Italian Midfield, along with the likes of Sandro Tonali, who's that bit younger. But they're, they're, Italy are going to be good for uh, quite a while. Now, Cialini got hurt. He's going to be a blow. They can bring in Bastoni, who's had a great season with Inter Milan. Uh, he didn't come on last night. They brought on a Serbi, more experienced player, a little bit more experienced next to Benucci as well. Uh, and Rafael Toloi came on when they wanted to shore things up. But Italy are deep. They've got talent everywhere. I don't think the fullbacks are particularly strong. But at centre-back, they've got quality and experience and leadership. They've got a very talented goalkeeper, really strong in midfield, and really potent up front. They're going to be a hard out. They really are going to be a hard out. Uh, today, we've got Ukraine against North Macedonia. Ukraine defeated by 
the Netherlands, North Macedonia lost to Austria, so must win game for both. You'd have to lean towards the Ukraine. Team is out. Game actually kicks off in five minutes. Um, the Ukrainian defense is strong. The midfield is talented. The attack is missing Viktor Shankov, though. He is back on the bench. If he gets his game, which you'd hope he does, I think he can be a difference maker. Um, North Macedonia are sticking with the the back three, but Elmas is going to play up front in this game rather than in midfield. So they're going for a bit more stability, a little bit more protection of the defence. He'll probably play as part of a two behind Pandev, if we're being honest. I think you'd have to lean towards the Ukraine in that game. Um, Denmark against Belgium at five. It's hard to see how the Danes are in any way prepared to play this game. You'd have to lean Belgium. They're in good form. Lukaku looks unbelievable. And then Netherlands versus Austria. No Arnautovic for Austria, but probably wouldn't have started anyway. Big battle in midfield here. Frankie de Jong, Martin Darun, and Ginny Wijnaldum up against the pressing capabilities of Conrad Lehmer, who might be the best presser in Europe, Javre Schlager, who's a monster, and Marcel Sabitzer. That's where the game will be won and lost in that midfield. Delict is back for the Netherlands, according to Frank. De- or, yeah, it is Frank de Boer, not Ronald de Boer. Uh, according to Frank de Boer, so that's a big, big plus for them at the back because defensively they looked a mess against um, against Ukraine. The big question mark for both teams is the goalkeeper. Neither team has a good goalkeeper. Um, Stecklenburg impresses nobody. He is 73 years of age. Their backup options, like Tim Krul, I mean, he's okay. He's not great. And Marco Bizzot, I mean, again, you're not going to be overly keen to have him in goal in a, a big game like European Championships. On the flip side, it's Daniel Backman for Austria. He was really poor against North Macedonia. Really, really poor. So I think big question marks there. The one thing for Austria, though, is how involved will Alaba be able to be from an attacking point of view from his central defensive position? We saw against North Macedonia, he had complete freedom to go and play wherever he wanted and do whatever he wanted. Won't be the case against the Netherlands. Weghorst and Depay, really unique strike pairing. There isn't anyone in the tournament you could really compare to them as a pairing. They're going to cause problems for Austria. I think the Netherlands will win the game. But I think Austria caused them trouble in midfield. Um, so that's the Euros. That's three good games today. Um, Ukraine and North Macedonia will be over by the time you hear this, but you will hopefully have uh, the other two ahead of you, and they should be they should be fun games. Little bits of news. Rafa Benitez leads the running for the Everton managerial job. I think from an Everton standpoint, it's probably the best appointment they could make. He's a better manager than Nuno. He's a better manager than Graham Potter. He's a better manager than Lucien Favre. He's not as good as Carlo, but the gap between them is not as big as some might make out. Now, in their primes, both were great managers. Both were top five or six managers in Europe. Neither of them are anywhere close to that anymore. I think Rafa has... I don't think Rafa ever obviously hit the heights of Carlo, but he never had the backing that Carlo had either. But what Rafa did at Valencia 
and then his first five years at Liverpool was tremendous. Now, people are very quick to say, oh, but he's done nothing since leaving Liverpool. Well, it's not quite true. Okay, Inter Milan didn't go very well, but he took over a bad situation, Inter Milan. I think he was desperate to get back into management, having left Liverpool under bad circumstances with the ownership. And he just jumped at the first job that came his way. Inter were post-Mourinho and looking to have to scale back financially because under Mourinho, they kind of spent and spent and spent a little bit too much in order to win the Champions League, which they did. And then it was kind of, let's scale this back. And unfortunately, Rafa just walked into a bad situation. He went to Chelsea then a couple of years later, uh, took over in the November from Di Matteo, who'd been sacked after winning the Champions League. And Rafa went and won the Europa League with them. Then he went to Napoli. Did very well at Napoli. Not brilliantly. Didn't win what he set out to win, which was the title. But he did win the, uh, the Coppa Italia. He went to Real Madrid. And because he's Rafa, and because he doesn't pander to players, he forgot to kiss the backside of Sergio Ramos. And that caused him some trouble with certain other players in the squad. Uh, he had a bit of a falling out with Isco, a little bit of a falling out with James. Neither of them have proven since then that he was wrong. In fact, both of them have proven since then that he was right in his actions. He was also the one that moved Bale into a central area and got the best of Bale. They lost only three of the 25 games he took charge of, but his style of football wasn't for the Real Madrid Masters. Remember, this is a club that sacked Fabio Capello twice after one season when he'd won the league both times. That's what you're dealing with here. Getting sacked by Real Madrid really isn't all that big a deal. They're a nonsensical club run by idiots who get lucky and trade on the power of the brand and are able to attract big-name players who get all you know weak at the knees and starry-eyed when they see the, the name Real Madrid. After that, he goes to Newcastle. And anyone who says he didn't do a very good job at Newcastle is fooling themselves. He made a net profit over his time there. They were going down when he took over. He brought them back, straight back up, winning the championship and kept them up. And people that say, oh, Steve Bruce has done a better job. Steve Bruce spent a fortune. Like, Steve Bruce spent so much more money than Rafa did. So the idea that Rafa didn't do really well at Newcastle is foolish. Uh, he massively overperformed with a championship-level squad for most of his time there. And he's been in China, and it hasn't gone well, and he's admitted it hasn't gone well, but he struggled to cope. He struggled to settle. It's a very different culture. Having been there for six weeks myself, it is quite a drastic change in culture from what we're used to here in, in Western Europe. So don't put any blame on that for him. Rafa Benitez is still a very good manager. He's no longer a great manager, but he's still a very good manager. He's better than anyone else Everton could get. And they should be very thankful that they could get someone like Rafa. Um, I mentioned Lucien Favre. He is apparently in talks with a couple of Premier League clubs. One of them believed to be Crystal Palace. I'm not a big fan. I really liked his Gladbach team. He bothered me the way he went about his business at Nice. They played good football, but... He made some bizarre decisions. And he failed to get the most out of one of the most talented groups of players anywhere in Europe at Borussia, Dor Borussia Dortmund. So um, 
At 63, it's an odd appointment. But he is someone that's capable of building something. So maybe a Crystal Palace who do need a rebuild, who need to bring in a lot of players, his knowledge of the European market will help. He's used to working under director of football, though probably nobody as incompetent as Doogie Friedman. I think he makes sense for them. He wouldn't be my first choice, but you know, if they're not going to go for Nuno and it looks like they're not going to go for Steve Cooper, I suppose they have to get somebody in soon. That's what it comes down to. You have to get somebody in soon. We're halfway through June, lads. Get your act together. Get your act together. It really isn't that hard. Go out, identify who you want and bring them to the club. Like, I see Spurs, they're still mucking about three months after they sacked Mourinho. Everton got blindsided. It's understandable that they're taking a bit of time, but, you know, Crystal Palace have known, I would say, for over a year that Hodgson was leaving. It's interesting as well that Eddie Howe's name has completely disappeared from the conversation. But I wonder if he might rock up at Fulham. Fulham will be an an appealing job. London, plenty of money. Decent base to begin with. Probably get time and he should get a lot of control because Tony Khan, who runs the day today, is in Jacksonville. Um, Fakayo Tamori has completed his £24 million move to AC Milan after a successful loan spell. Milan took him on loan with the option to buy. I think there'll be a few Premier League clubs kicking themselves that they didn't make that, that signing in January. Um, like Aston Villa, for example, him next to Konza would be phenomenally good. Would lack height, but brilliant defenders. Tomori should be in the England squad, and England now risk losing him to either Nigeria, Nigeria or Canada. Um, if I was him, I'd go play for Nigeria, because that's a really talented Nigerian team being put together. And his parents are obviously Nigerian, but he was born in Canada, so he has that option too. But England, I mean... Connor Cody's in the England squad and this guy's not. This guy went to AC Milan and the the captain got dropped to play him at AC Milan. While Connor Cody's been horrendous for Wolves all season. Patrick Van Aanholt has officially left Crystal Palace. Uh, His contract is due to expire at the end of June and he is one that they have cut bait with. He won't have any trouble finding another club I'd imagine there's a couple of Premier League clubs that would have interest in him. Like, if I'm Arsenal, I need a backup left-back to Kieran Tierney. I'm ringing Van Aanholt's agent. He's not great defensively. He is good going forward. He works hard. As a backup left-back, he's better than anything else I've got. He's certainly better than Kalasnak. Um, Talented player. I do like him. Ashley Young, it looks like he's on his way back to Aston Villa, who he played for between spells at Watford and Manchester United. He had been linked to Watford. He was linked to Burnley and Inter Milan seemed to want him to stay, but he's made the decision to move home. I think it's fair to say his time in Italy has been a a success. Um, Won himself a Serie A title last season. Played an important role under um, Antonio Conte. 59 games and five goals over his uh, over his 18 months with Inter Milan. So credit to him, he's he's done really well. I, I like when I see Premier League players take the gamble and go abroad. And for him to do it at 33 was was really brave because, you know, he wasn't at the peak of his powers anymore. 
Um, I think it was a, <clears throat> I think it was a really brave move for him to make, and it capped off what's been, you know, a, a pretty good career. Um, was a super talented young winger at Watford, went to Villa, a little bit inconsistent, but a quality player, and was developing into a really, really good player. Uh, it is funny that he scored nine goals in each of his four full seasons with uh, with Villa. Went to United, started off well, won a title. Ferguson left, and obviously then things went a little bit weird at United. Uh, he became a left-back, which was bizarre. But then he did become captain of Manchester United as well for a time. Um, so credit to him. He, he's had a good career, and it's nice that he gets to go back and finish it. At Aston Villa, not the club that made him, but certainly the club where he made his name the most uh, in the four years, four and a half years that he had there. And uh, lastly, of players leaving, Sergio Ramos is leaving Real Madrid after 16 years. Uh, five La Liga titles and four Champions Leagues, as well as a World Club, World Cup and two European Championships with Spain. Uh, to his name, obviously one of the most decorated defenders in history. Um, one of the most decorated players in history, I should say. Never as good as people made him out to be. A great leader, an inspirational force, someone that could drive a team on. Defensively, never anywhere close to elite level. Lots of mistakes, lots of big hero defending that's not good for anybody. But he did score big goals and he always turned up in big games. And you have to give him credit for the career he's had. There'd been some talk he was going to go back to Sevilla. That was largely coming from people that don't know what they're talking about. If you look at um, his history of when he left Sevilla, like they hate him there. I said the other day when that was mentioned, like he, they, shouldn't, they should avoid him anyway. From a playing point of view, they should avoid him. Just from a footballing point of view, they should avoid him because they've got Jules Kunde. The last thing you want to do is get Ramos teaching him how to defend. Kunde's on his way to being one of the best defenders in the world. Ramos would help him deviate drastically from that path. But the fans of Seville hate him. Even though he's one of their own, they hate him because of how he forced his way out to go to Real Madrid and how sneakily he went about everything. But look, like I said, 16 years at a at Real Madrid is an incredible accomplishment. Where he goes next will be interesting. PSG has been mentioned. Manchester United has been, been mentioned and wouldn't surprise me at all. He could go to America and play in MLS, but I, I think he'll have a year more in Europe. I, I really want to see him and Harry Maguire as a pair, I have to admit. I really want to see him and Harry Maguire. I, I just think it'll be hilarious. The two most overrated centre-backs of the last 20 years. Harry Maguire and Sergio Ramos. Magnificent. Right, we'll leave it there and take a break. Uh, when we come back, no Twitter questions today because I'm still suspended on Twitter until uh, I think half five this evening. But I had a question from last week that I didn't get to. Um, so I'm going to do that one and then we'll wrap up with the gossip and be gone. See you in a bit. Right, welcome back. Um, so, the question I had last week was from Mona, at underscore legalize. 
who would win an all-star knockout competition format if you were to select a 15-man squad, starting 11 on a bench, for each of the following? The Premier League, La Liga, Serie A and Ligue 1. Players must... Players must... Players select... Sorry, I can't read. Players select, selected must have played a huge part of last season. Maximum of two players per team. Uh, Bundesliga stands fuming have been left out, but that's fine. Um, so what I've done is I've selected my all-star teams. So for the Premier League, because they can only have two players per team, I've got Emmy Martinez in goal. I'm very happy with that. Um, I've got Ricardo Pereira at right back. Ruben Diaz and Virgil van Dijk at centre-back. And Luca Dina at left-back. Wilf Ndidi as my defensive midfielder. Kevin De Bruyne and Bruno Fernandes as my other two midfielders. And then I've got Mo Salah, Harry Kane and Youngman Son up front. I've got Eduard Mendy as my kind of backup goalkeeper. Ezri Konza as my backup centre-back, backup defender. N'Golo Kante as my backup midfielder. And Marcus Rashford as my backup attacker. So I've got, um, I've got two from Villa, two from Leicester, two from City, two from Liverpool, two from Spurs, two from United, and one from Everton. I've probably missed out someone quite obvious, uh, but that's what I've gone with there. For Syria, I have, um, obviously it's based on last season, so I've got Donnarumma as the goalkeeper. I've got Christian Romero, who was the best defender in, in Syria last season. I've got Matthias De Ligt because I, I think he's just going to be tremendous once he shakes off this rough start at Juve. And I've got Koulibaly, so I've gone for a back three. Um, I've gone for Ashraf Hakimi and Theo Hernandez as wingbacks. I've got Barella, Locatelli and Pellegrini as a midfield three. And then I've gone Chiro Immobile and Cristiano Ronaldo as my front two. I've got Alex Mere, Nikola Milinkovic, Sergei Milinkovic-Savage. And um, and Vlahovic, Dusan Vlahovic as my front three. Oh, sorry, as my, my my bench. I didn't realize I had three Serbians, but I do. Um, so again, I've got two from Milan, Donnarumma and Theo. Two from Juve, Delict and Cristiano. Two from Lazio, Immobile and uh, Milinkovic Savage. Two from Fiorentina. Milenkovic and Vlahovic. Two from Inter, Hakimi and Barella. One from Atalanta in Romero. One from Sassuolo in Locatelli. And one from Roma in uh, in Pellegrini. And two from Napoli, I should say, Koulibaly and Murray. Um So that's that one. La Liga, I went with Jan Oblak. Emerson Royal, who played for Real Betis last season. And Mark Cucurella of Getafe, they're my fullbacks. Rafa Varane and Jules Kunde as my centre-backs. Frankie De Jong, Casemiro and Saul as my midfield three. Now, Saul didn't have a great season, but I'm still having him in regardless. And then I've got Messi, En Naziri and Ayarzabal as my front three with Unai Simon, Carlos Soler, Samuel Chukwameke. 
I can't, can't pronounce the poor boy's name. Um, great player from Villarreal. Again, didn't have a great season, but I, I just love watching him play. And Alexander Isaac is my other uh, my other sub. So I've got uh, Oblak and Saul from Atleti, Varane and Casemiro from Real, Kunde and En Naziri from Sevilla, Frankie and Messi from Barca, Oyarzabal and Isaac from Sociedad, Simon from United Simon from uh, Bilbao, Carlos Soler from Valen- uh, Valencia, Emerson from Betis, Cucurella from Getafe, and I'm just going to call him Samuel from Villarreal. So I've got more of a spread in La Liga than I do in the other two that I've done. Um, but I'm quite happy with the balance of that team. I think that is that would be a fun team to watch. And finally then, at Ligon, I've got Rajkovic from Stad Reim in goal. I've cheated a bit and put Bubakar uh, Kamara at right-back. He normally plays holding midfield or centre-back, but he is really good at right-back as well. I've got Loic Bade and Sven Botman as my centre-backs. Kao Henrique of uh, Monaco as my left-back. Renato Sanchez and Chimeni of Monaco as two of my three midfielders, along with Kamavinga, who's an obvious one. And then I've got Mbappe, Memphis and Neymar up front. I've got Anthony Lopez of Lyon, Amin Guri of Nice, Jeremy Doku of Rennes, and Ajorke of Strasbourg as my backup. So, again, I've got one from Reims, one from Marseille, one from Len, two from Lille, two from Monaco, two from Rennes, two from Lyon, two from PSG, one from Nice and one from Strasbourg. So again, quite spread out there. As for who would win, I think the Premier League is the strongest of them. I decided to cheat a little bit ever so slightly and pick the best manager from each of the leagues as well. So over the French team, it's it's Galtier. Um, and we know he's a really good manager. Now, he would play a slightly different shape to what I've written these out as, but I think it'd be fine. Defensively, it's very inexperienced. Midfield is very powerful, very dynamic, great ball-winning potential, good ball progression. The attack would be lethal. Mbappe, Memphis, and Neymar would be a terrifying thought. All that movement, all that creativity. I think the defence might let them down just from an inexperienced point of view. In La Liga, the full-backs are inexperienced. The centre-backs, I think, and the goalkeeper are, are all very, very good. The midfield is very strong. I've got Messi. I've got a Yarsbell. I've got Enes. I think that's a really well-balanced team. Now, again, the best manager in the league is Diego Simeone. He's not playing a 4-3-3. But look, I'll show him a big bag of money and he'll be fine with it. Um, it's obviously a back three for Serie A because it's Conte. Defensively, I think it's very, very good. The wing backs will be nigh on unstoppable. Strong in midfield. The immobile Cristiano partnership wouldn't work because Cristiano needs someone to do all his running for him. Um, but I'd hook him after five minutes and stick someone else on. 
and uh, and he'd be fine with it. Um, he wouldn't be fine with it. I'd be fine with it. It's a really strong team. But the Premier League one, I think, is the strongest back to front. Martinez isn't world-class, but he is very good. Neither fullback are the best in the league in their position, but they're very, very close to it. Um, I think Trent and Robertson are the two best, but I obviously couldn't have them. Diaz makes me play a way that I'm not really all that comfortable playing, but the other options, Laporte injuries the last couple of seasons hasn't been at the same level. Soyuncu, not at the same level the last kind of 12 months. The Rodgers effect there. Uh, and I didn't think I could justify picking Konza over Diaz, given the season Diaz had. So he makes me play a little bit of a deeper line than I'd want, but Van Dijk will, will allow it and cover him, so he'd be fine. The midfield is very creative. I wonder if it maybe lacks a little bit in terms of work rate with KDB and Bruno. Not to say they're lazy, they're not. But just defensive now is defensively switched on. The front three would be hysterically good. Salah, Kane and Son would annihilate most. I think it's between... I think it's between the Premier League and La Liga. La Liga has Messi, which is why they... I would put them over over Syria is the Messi factor. I love that Syria team though. If it wasn't for Cristiano, I'd love that team entirely. I'd say the Premier League one would win though. I'd say, I think if they played in a league format where they all played each other twice, I think the Premier League would, would finish top of that group. In a cup, that's where the Premier League might be a little bit naive because depending on who the manager is, if it's Klopp, Klopp doesn't really like cups. If it's a one-off knockout, I'm not sure I'd go with Klopp. But then do you go with Pep and risk him overthinking stuff? In a cup, I think I'd go with Conte and that Italian team. Or do you go Simeone and Messi? I'll go Simeone and Messi. I'll say La Liga wins it all. Um... We'll wrap to the gossip then. Um, Guy has just put something in for my attention. Wolves have signed Yersin Mosquera from Atletico Nacional. He signed a five-year contract with the club. This is a Colombian centre-back to four and a half million, apparently. Um... Amazingly not represented by George Mendes. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's not going to be ready to play at the Premier League level straight away, and he's more a signing for the long term. He's not the tallest, apparently. According, according to this, he's 1 meter 88 So he's not like a big monstrous centre-back. 6 foot 1. Yeah, it's a good height. Be fine. I think... I think it's a good sign that they're moving outside of the Mendes client base. Um, Paris Saint-Germain, Manchester City, Manchester United are Sev and Sevilla are poor, four possible destinations for Real Madrid outgoing captain Sergio Ramos. Uh, we can rule Sevilla out of that. I think we can rule City out. I think it's PSG or United. Brighton have rejected a £40 million bid for Ben White. Uh, he made 36 Premier League appearances. Yeah, and it wasn't particularly good defensively in any of them. 
Um, I think to pay that kind of money is ridiculous. When Jules Kunde is your number one target and Ben White is your number two target, you've gone wrong somewhere. Like Kunde as number one target, perfect. But how you, how White is your number two, I don't know. Like there should be a long list of defenders in between those names. Arsenal have backed out of a move for Norway international Martin Odegaard with the midfielder determined to stay at Real Madrid. So they haven't backed out as so much as they've been turned down. Um, England and Leicester midfielder James Madison has emerged as their top transfer target. But a £70 million bid has been turned down. Arsenal have not bid £70 million for anybody. They just haven't. But Arsenal need to get realistic about where they are and what they are. The fact that they're going for like Ben White and Aaron Ramsdale suggests that James Madison and the likes of Jack Grealish and even Jules Koundé way out of their league. Way, way out of their league. Uh, France winger Kingsley Coleman wants a Premier League move after turning down a new contract at Bayern Munich. I think Manchester United will pivot and go for him. I think Sancho's proving too expensive. I think they'll pivot and go for Kingsley Coleman. Napoli have made Chelsea's Italian left-back Emerson Palmieri their leading target, but the clubs are haggling over Chelsea's €15 million valuation. He has been largely dreadful for Chelsea um, since going there. How is he still only 26? He's been around a long time. He was never the same player after he tore his ACL for Roma. That altered the trajectory of his career. Now, at Inter, in a back three with wing-backs, he'll be much better than he ever was at Chelsea when he was been asked to play as a full-back. Um, Inter Milan are set to rival Everton for the signing of Denzel Dumfries from PSV Eindhoven. Now, Inter obviously could be losing Hakimi. Dumfries would make sense. But I think Everton, I think it's a really good move for Everton if they can get him. Brighton have agreed a club record £25 million deal for Nicolas Gonzalez. Really talented, just needs to stay fit. If he can stay fit, he'll be really good, but they still need a number nine. Tottenham are, are, uh, Tottenham are interested in signing Brighton and England right-back Tariq Lamptey. Yeah. If they're going to use him as a wing-back, fine. If they're going to use him as a full-back, it'll be a disaster now. Fonseca does play a back three most often, but he has played a back four a fair bit in his past. I wouldn't I wouldn't go for Lamptey. I, I would go for Max Ahrens. I think he's better than Lamptey. He's more durable than Lamptey. And he can play as a fullback as well as a wingback. He's I think he's better going forward and he's much better defensively. I, I think Lamptey got a lot of hype for a handful of appearances, and we really need to wait until we see him over a full season. See if he's durable enough to play a full season in the Premier League and see if he can improve defensively. Uh, the Seagulls are in talk with Danny Welbeck. You buy a striker and stop being cheap. Um, England striker Harry Kane's hopes of moving from Tottenham to Premier League champions Man City have been complicated by the two sides being drawn to play each other in the opening game of the Premier League campaign. Yeah, just hold off until after that game. Doesn't the trans or does the transfer window close before the game? That's something I need to look into. But look, you could I'm sure City will give you a gentleman's agreement that they won't play him. You know, no one needs to know. You can just say he's got a hamstring injury or an ankle injury, he's had a career of ankle injuries. Just say he's got a bad ankle. Uh, Sheffield United could be forced to accept Arsenal's proposed deal for Sander Berge. 
23-year-old has said he hopes to play in the Champions League next season. Um, I really like Sanderberger. I think he's very talented. You just played for a side that was dreadful. Now, I know you missed most of the season, but even when you played, they were garbage. Champions League, probably not for you at this point, Sander. Unless you're going to go back to, you know, being a big fish in a small pond. That You're not going to get to a Champions League club in a top five league this summer. That seems to be the case. And anyway, why would they be forced to accept Arsenal's proposed deal if he wants Champions League? Arsenal don't even have Europa League. They don't even have Europa Conference League. Leeds have not given up hope of persuading Ejan Alioski to stay at Elland Road. He's expected to leave the club on a free transfer after failing to agree new terms and appear to say goodbye. He's an important player for them. He plays a lot of positions. He's always reliable. It's not the end of the world if they lead him, if they lose him rather. But I think they'd want to keep him for sure. Um, Manchester United have had their opening bid for Kieran Trippier turned down. The La Liga champions won close to 35 million for Kieran Trippier. Ah, lads. Can we all be a little bit realistic now about who Kieran Trippier is? They signed him for 20 million two years ago. He's now 30. He'll be 31 in September. He hasn't improved defensively. He's gotten worse going forward. You're not getting 35 million for him. Chelsea have offered. 51.5 51.5 million plus Marcus Alonso for Inter Milan's Moroccan fullback Ashraf Hakimi, who's also wanted by Paris Saint Germain. Now, PSG have said they want 70 million pounds. So, 51 million plus Marcus Alonso is 52 million. It's not enough, lads. We'll have to up that bid. Uh, I think he probably ends up at PSG or he might stay. Um, I don't think he'll end up at Chelsea, if I'm being honest. I really don't think he'll end up at Chelsea. Uh, although it would be funny to see him at right wing back and Reese James condemned to a career as a right side centre back in a three, uh, especially considering neither are particularly good defensively. That's it. That is the show for today. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, Guy has just informed me that Ukraine are 1 0 up against North Macedonia. Andre Yarmolenko. Uh, in the 29th minute. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to guess it was an impressive goal. Uh, low-footed effort gets parried. Blah, blah, blah. Ah, no, it's just a tap-in. Tap-in. No, fair enough. He is a, he's a different player at international level than he is at club level. He's just different. There are just players like that, and he's one of them. Uh, take care of yourselves. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.